You're listening to the Ready, Set, Cloud podcast, a show about trending and difficult topics on serverless and in the cloud. Today, we're talking about side projects. You know those 14 unfinished repos you have in your GitHub account? Yeah, those. I brought Luke von Dockersgood on the show to talk about how taking your side projects to production could dramatically improve your learning comprehension as a developer. We talk about how it changes your approach to development, how putting passion behind learning increases its effectiveness, and how making one big side project is better than a bunch of small ones. Ready, set, let's go. If there's something we all know about serverless, it's that it moves fast. The features, proof of concepts, content, and rate of innovation fly by at a pace we just simply don't see anywhere else. This begs the question, how do you keep up? Reading blog posts and listening to podcast episodes can only get you so far, right? I've brought Luke von Donkersgood on the show to talk to us about how he balances his day job while staying up to date with the latest updates and trends without burning out. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Great to be back. Yeah, very happy to have you here. So you're a, a principal engineer at PostNL. You're an AWS serverless hero. And you recently won the AWS Go Build Award back in December. Not to mention, you're an international speaker and probably several other very cool things that I'm leaving out. Please tell us, how did you get here? Well, it goes a bit back. I guess I studied technical computer sciences. And even then I thought, well, I'm studying computer sciences, but there's more to it. There must be more to it. Immediately out of college, I started my own company as an entrepreneur building iPhone apps. Me and two friends, we thought it should be more fun to build apps than just work in some, some gray IT company back then. So I, I guess that really already set me up for a different career than most. And I really fell in love with infrastructure in that job. And that was old school infrastructure, like buying servers, driving them to a data center, plugging them in and everything. Well, there's not something you hear every day. No, but those are my foundations, right? And I really liked that. I just, I love infrastructure. What I didn't like was being responsible for physical hardware and driving to the data center at 3 a.m. with hard drive bugged out or whatever. And then I got introduced to AWS and the software experience and infrastructure experience just really came together there. Since then, I've been working on AWS nonstop and building stuff, of course, on AWS. So that's where it started. And how did you land at PostNL? Yeah, so when I worked in AWS, that was in a consulting firm. So I really saw a lot of different customers. But the, let's say, client set of that consultancy firm were really enterprises just getting started in AWS. So there was a lot of EC2, a lot of RDS, a lot of VPC, not so much serverless. Maybe S3, maybe the most advanced customers used API Gateway, and that was about it. And in the same time, I learned a lot about AWS and talked to a lot of people about AWS. So I knew there's more, there's better ways to use AWS that's mostly serverless, but I'm not going to be able to do it here, not with this set of clients. So I started looking for a company that was really at the cutting edge of AWS and found PostNL, who really had this serverless mandate and no data centers since uh, 2012. So that was really early and they really embraced public cloud. 
and went all in on AWS. And this is when like most people hadn't even heard about AWS yet. And they went, well, full public cloud. And then if you go forward to 2018, that's when they said, well, now we're going to go full serverless. So even in that sense, they were ahead of the market. So I can only wait to see what happens next. Yeah, definitely. I remember I had started in serverless probably in like 2019. And I listened to a podcast where you were talking on it and hunted you down at reInvent that year because you were describing the way that you had set up the event system at PostNL. Basically, it was like exactly the problem that I was having at work in a completely different domain. And I found you and I said, can you please tell me how you built this? I remember that, that call and that podcast and that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you were definitely ahead of the curve for what it felt like for me. And that's, that's really what I want to talk to you about because you stay ahead of the game and you consistently stay ahead of it. I'd argue that you're one of the top people in the field when we're talking about serverless. And I'm just, I'm real curious to, to hear your answer on this. When you sign up to do cloud and specifically with serverless, you're really signing up to be a forever student. And I would like to know, how has your experience changed when it comes to education now versus when you were in the thick of it and just getting started? It really changed a lot. And so in the beginning, I was just soaking it all up, right? If you don't have a lot of experience yet, there's so much to learn just by looking at what other people build, what other people write, by looking at projects, open source projects, listening to podcasts, reading AWS blog posts and so on. And then I guess my second phase where I really started to build my own solutions that were new. And then you start to rely on theory a bit more. So I got a lot of AWS certifications. I really studied a lot, like hardcore studying, like I haven't done since high school, I guess. Just to understand all these services and what they do, how they work. The advice that you get when you study for AWS certifications is read the FAQs, read the documentation. So I read all of it for every single service. Well, not every service, but every relevant service. So that was really, really just hardcore studying. And I did that for the machine learning one and for the advanced networking one and for the security one, for every one of those certificates. So I guess that was really my second phase and that allowed me to build new solutions. But I guess I've reached a new phase now. So as you said in the introduction, I'm now a principal engineer. I'm really proud to be a principal engineer. It's a great honor to, to have that role within an organization as big as PostNL. But that also requires me to look differently at challenges. And I get different challenges to look at as well. So the problem space, so to say, is much more conceptual. It's not like I have this problem, please build me a solution. It's like something doesn't quite work and we think there might be room for improvement, but we have no clue what that could look like. And then studying or learning to solve those kinds of problems requires an, an entirely different way of thinking. So what I find myself doing now is read a lot of books, like the real literature about team topologies, about domain-driven design, about software architecture, really get to the core of the concepts. But then still, they do not answer, they don't provide the solution for the problem that you're facing. 
So then you really need to start to actively think about the problem and the theory and how you can form that theory to actually solve the problem you're facing. And that is a, a new way of learning that, well, I hadn't experienced before yet, but I like it. I remember the, the first job that I had out of college. I make the joke a lot that I couldn't have felt less prepared for it because everything that I had done in college was theory and, you know, maybe a couple of tricky for loops. And when it came to actually going in and writing, or really, I, I was thrown into maintaining an existing application. When it came to that, as I didn't have any idea what to do. I kind of liken it to, uh, to driving, to learning how to drive. You understand, you use your turn signals before you turn, you know, what a stoplight does, and then you get behind the wheel for the first time, and you're like, oh, crap, what do I actually do when I'm driving? And there's a lot to consider, and a lot of that comes with experience and actual comprehension of the theory. And I, I want to get your opinion. I had uh, Ro, who's another AWS serverless hero, on the show last year, and we, had, we did a whole episode on theory versus practice. And I don't want to camp on that for too long, but I would like to get your opinion where you stand right now and what you've done. What is your thought on theory versus practice when it comes to actually learning these new concepts and growing yourself professionally? Yeah, I would say I would prefer 80% practice versus 20% theory. Of course, we covered theory a lot just in the previous few minutes, but I think the comparison with driving makes a lot of sense. Like you can know how all the things work, but you have to experience them to actually put them into practice. And you have to feel the pain every now and then as well. Like have a production incident that lead a production database. Don't do it on purpose, please. <laughs> don't, don't go to work tomorrow <laughs> and say, hey, you know what I'm going to do. But if it happens, that's when you learn how the system works and how you set it up, where you can find the documentation, how to restore things, how your backups work. You learn by fire. And in your day job, it will work that way because it's expected of you. You get paid to solve the problems and solve the incidents. But you also learn that way when building your own projects. If you build something and maybe you need to maintain it, need to continue building on it, at some point you might have, for example, a software architecture that doesn't work feel like, okay, this is just one big ball of spaghetti, then you learn, okay, how can I improve this? And I built a lot of personal projects, a lot of GitHub repositories, and that really gave me the experience to experiment and then experience what does and doesn't work. So let's talk about a practical example of one of those, because I know you've been working on a new website relatively recently, and I would imagine that you learned a lot in the process. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about AWS News. First, like, what is it and why did you make it? The best products come from a problem that you're experiencing yourself. Like, I have a problem, I don't have a solution. But what I can do is build stuff. So every year I go to reInvent. And because I'm a AWS hero and I work in an AWS environment, people expect me to tell what I've learned there what is important, what to focus on, and what the next year will look like. Well, this year is easy. It's just generative AI all around. We're done in five minutes. But generally, there are hundreds or thousands of releases over the entire year, especially around reInvent. And just keeping track of that is a lot of work. So in the first few years, I actually had an Excel document in which I copy-pasted all the releases and then added a link to the news article and the blog article if it was there. And I just added a number one, two, three, four, five behind it. 
which is the rating. How important do I think this is? Did a couple of years, a lot of work, wasn't fun, but felt like I had to. So this year, reInvent came up and it was literally one week before reInvent. Like I fly there on Saturday, the Friday, eight days before I thought I can do better than an Excel document. So I figured let's just build a website where I can do this Excel thing, but then just on a website. So I can rate it one star to five stars. And I can say, mark this as red if I've seen it. And now I just automated away this Excel document. But I also thought, well, if I built this for me, how hard can it be to just add a database, add a login with Cognito and allow other people to use it as well? People like you, I know you keep track of the AWS news as well, so it might add some value. So I built it that way. I started building on a Friday. I literally released it the Monday after, which says a lot about the speed you can make with serverless. And during reInvent, I already got hundreds of users. So I guess I hit a nerve. You definitely filled a gap. That's one of the things that I try to do at least a little bit in the uh, serverless picks of the week newsletter, but your site is completely comprehensive. I just do subjectively. Here's the ones that I think are cool. So you started with AWS news with a problem and you used the skills that you already had to build it. Now let's talk about the next step because you didn't stop there. You kept building onto it because you and I had a discussion. I remember we were sitting in the community builder lounge at reInvent this past year and we were having a conversation like, what's a vector? What's an LLM? And I think you could school me now on that type of information. So how did you take your first iteration and grow it into what it is now? The great thing about self-built projects is that you can do to it whatever you like. There's nobody who's going to tell you, you should add this or should not add this. So it's really great as a learning platform. And especially when you have users, because they use your system in ways you never expect. And you can learn a lot from that as well. Last reInvent was the AI event, right? It seemed like there was no other topic. And when I went into reInvent, just as you said, I had no clue how this stuff worked. And I guess I still don't know how AI works, but at least I understand a little bit about the infrastructure around it now. So we had this conversation and I think I said, how do you actually ask questions of your data? And you said, well, it's easy. You just convert your data to vectors and then you convert your query to vectors. And then you store it in a vector database and then you get your results and you can even do semantic search. Okay. I know some of these terms, this sounds great, but the point is when AWS had this reInvent that was all about generative AI, I felt I need to understand this. I need to understand how this works. And I have this platform, which might just be a very good use case. So you can ask questions about all these blog posts and news articles. Things like, tell me the currently supported runtimes on AWS Lambda. Well, that's in the news articles, so you can find it. You can have this human interaction or natural language interaction. So that was my starting point. I thought, I think there's value in it and I can learn a lot from it. So let's build it. And that's what I did. That's really impressive because for exactly the reason that you said it, it solves a really cool problem and you got to learn about a trending topic it's not going away in the process. So you built your app initially with the skills that you had. You identified another problem and a target area that you wanted to learn about, and you explored that way. What's next? 
Is there anything else that you have in the pipeline that fits that same mold? Yeah, so there's a lot of work that was not visible that I put in the platform. So when I started building this, I used short of a MVC architecture, model view controller, because that's kind of the thing that I knew, which I learned in college, been using since forever. And I was building this and I wanted to add a feature and I felt like, okay, I have to build this. Like I have to change every single file and I don't feel confident about my own platform. So I started exploring and reading up again, reading the books and found that hexagonal architecture or onion architecture might be a much better and much more modern fit. So actually in the last four or five weeks, I rewrote the entire thing, literally line by line to onion architectures. And I'm super happy with the result. And I learned so much about this and why it works. And now I'm actually going around in PostNL saying, Hey, you, you know what you should do is use onion architectures. You know, it's great. And I, <laughs> I wouldn't have had the chance to experiment and also experience an architecture like this in a work setting, because there's always business features that need to be built or the application is way too large to rewrite, or I have to convince a lot of people about the importance of it. Well, if I just do it in my weekends and evenings, nobody's going to tell me what to do. So really like that. That's been the past few weeks for the next weeks. I actually get some feature requests every now and then people say, Hey, can we add feature X, Y, or Z? I consider it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I mean, it's my platform. I get to choose. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I would really like to build in there is some sort of email function where you can subscribe to updates, maybe even summarization using generative AI, maybe also categorization where you say, well, you marked all of these articles as your favorites. And now this article came out and it seems to match your preferences. So here's an email and really look at that user value. Like how can I keep people up to date on AWS news? I like that a lot. Let me ask you a question. Let me set a stage real quick. I ran a poll the other day on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I asked people, how often do you use a side project that you've built? Any side project. And I gave four options, like never, once or twice, ever, once a month, and daily. And the overwhelming majority of people had said never or once or twice ever. Only a, a very small fraction use things that they built regularly. So that was really interesting because I've found, you know, I, I learn the same way you do mostly by doing, and I try every chance that I get to do something for myself, basically do myself a favor. Let me learn and also make my life a little bit easier. Given that I know you've made side projects in the past that you have never used because we all have. And that, that's how I know that we've all done that. So how has building a platform that you use every day and now that other people are using changed the way that you're learning? Are you doing things differently now because you know that this is a longer lived side project? There's definitely some parts that get more focused than I would usually have. For example, I have built like an extensive observability platform on this tool. One, because I really like observability and also because this allows me to explore the edges of, well, what would a perfect observability uh, solution look like? but also because I do feel responsible. So now alarms and monitoring and observability become much more important when you do just a whatever project. And also, uh, you know, 
Momento has also sponsored my platform, which involves real money because it's a sponsorship. And that makes you feel a lot more responsible for the platform as well, because it's not just my name on it, it's their name on it as well. So yeah, it definitely changes the way you look at it in a good way, because as we discussed earlier, you really learn from production incidents, but then something has to be really in production. And this is a side project that is. Two follow-ups based on that. Because I know a lot of people will hear that and get super intimidated by the fact that a side project is actually used by other people and it's not just a you thing. One, is it still fun? Does it feel like a job or is it, does it still feel like a fun side project? And two, has it changed the way that you've approached learning when you're incorporating these new concepts to you inside of it? So question one, is it still fun? Yes, a lot. I really like this and I also like a bit of responsibility. It's just not completely, what's the word? I would probably use laissez-faire here. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So your choices have consequences and that makes it interesting. Like paintball versus laser gaming. Laser gaming, your armor says pew pew. Paintball, you get a bruise. You act differently, right? But it's also more fun because there's a bit more tension to it, a bit more responsibility. Like laser gaming, nobody cares. Everybody just walks around, right? Paintball, I'm not so much. Well, like that. So yeah, I like a bit of responsibility, but also I'm very careful to state this project is mine and I will not start any sort of partnership or any kind of situation where I don't get to choose if I even want to work on it. I mean, I want to make sure it's there 24 seven. Well, it's serverless, so it's not that difficult. But if I choose not to work on it for three months, I absolutely want to have that liberty. And that also keeps it. And then your second question was about the way you learn. Well, actually, this is a relationship to the onion architectures because I still want to learn and experiment a lot, but I don't want to bring down this system. That's why I rebuilt the architecture to have a lot of confidence in that whatever I do, it doesn't break the existing system. And I couldn't do that in the old architecture and I can do that in the new architecture. So this is also a way of learning that you would not have in a platform that isn't being used. Because if you bring it down and nobody notices, well, I, I guess there's a philosophical question here. Like if your website is down, but nobody uses it, is it actually down? Yes, it's like that tree falling in the forest if it still makes a sound. Exactly. So yeah, it forced me to think about it that way, which has been very educational because otherwise I wouldn't have been going around PostNL now saying, hey, you should use onion architectures because it works. I wouldn't have learned that. I love it. I love the whole thing. I, I love that you started with the problem and you went and solved it to make it easier for yourself, but then you just kept building onto it. And that's, it's again, that's like the whole story of Ready, Set, Cloud and the newsletter and everything that, that I've done. So it's really fun for me to see somebody else doing it and doing it publicly. I just love that you share everything, both the successes and failures is not the word that I want to use, but it's the way that we learn, right? The things that you've learned on accident that you'll never forget. Okay, Luke, we're running a little bit low on time. And I just want to preemptively say thank you for being here. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Any other words of wisdom? I'm learning by reading a lot nowadays. Not everybody is a reader, right? Some people learn from just building. Some people learn from blog posts. Some people learn from podcasts, from YouTube, whatever. But I'm really big on book. So what I would like to do is just 
name a few books that I've been reading recently that have brought a lot of value to me and maybe add them to the show notes later as well. Yeah, definitely. There's five I've been reading in the last few months. First, it's pretty famous, Empowered by Marty Kagan. Second, this one I really want to promote is the Software Engineer's Guidebook by Gergely Orosh. It's really new, but it's very, very good for engineers in all levels and all experiences. So it goes from junior engineer all the way to staff plus. It's a great book. Third is Team Topologies. If you're working in an enterprise and feel like, hey, this could be structured better, a lot to learn there. Fourth, Learning Domain-Driven Design, also valuable in larger enterprises by Vlad Kononov. And then the last one is Architecture Patterns with Python. I'm a Pythonista by Bob Gregory and Harry Percival. This is really where I learned most about engine architectures and software architecture in Python. So really valuable books can advise all of them. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll link all those in the show notes and let everybody get a chance to read what you're reading. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Luke, for coming and talking to me, for building AWS News, for you know sharing your knowledge. Really appreciate it. And it was great to have you on. It's always great chatting. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you later. That's it for this episode of the Ready, Set, Cloud podcast. Thanks for joining me. And remember to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Alan Helton, and we're out of here.